Welcome to the Live 1002 podcast, where simple actions are multiplying into extraordinary impact around the world when we live Luke 10, verse 2. Joining us today from Houston, Texas is Guy Kasky as we chat about what God is doing during this pandemic, as well as the critical conversation of racial reconciliation and what needs to happen within the church and as believers, and how this topic goes hand in hand with the pursuit of church planning and disciple making movements. Right now, certainly during the pandemic time, there's uh, we have a couple of them. Uh, one of them is someone on our team uh, had created for those with Catholic background who during Holy Week were unable to you know attend any Holy Week services. So what what he did is creatively designed a DBS that brought meaning to each of their Holy Week days and. 50 DBSs were started on Zoom based around this, and they began to engage in scripture and reading the Bible for the very first time using this simple DBS designed format that he did for Catholic background Hispanics, mostly Spanish speakers. And that was one fantastic story. And then I, I have another one that just God has done some amazing things in our city in Houston. Uh, between and related to ra- racial reconciliation. And uh, last night we met on the very basketball courts where George Floyd uh, grew up and was a person of peace on those courts for a church plant down there and some of the partnerships we had with several local churches. And it was a, a very powerful time of reconciliation. And for me, my family is very mixed. I have an adopted son from the Horn of Africa, Ethiopia, my daughter. Is, is dated and very committed to a, an African-American young man. And uh, so we're very mixed. And so to have half of my family stand on the other side, one, at one time we broke into white and black and we just had a time of reconciliation. And it was emotional for me to have my family on the other side. But one of the powerful things about that reconciliation time is there's also going to be a continuation of the reconciliation of the gospel in many communities where there's so much destruction, underserved black and African-American communities. And so we're partnering together to help them with engagement strategies. So it's pretty exciting to see one, just the reconciliation that need to happen. And that's one of the things I can't say enough is that we as the white church, that's our family. We need to stand up for our black brothers and sisters during times of injustice. And we've, we can no longer be silent. We've got to speak out about that. Amen. I already had the chills from you sharing that that beginning testimony. I'm excited for this conversation. So before we go further on current events and current right. things that God is doing, would you share a little bit of your story, Guy? Sure. I'd love to. So I was raised in a family that we had a denominational background. I mean, mom was from a Methodist and dad was from a Baptist background, but we hardly darkened the door. I teasingly say that on Sundays, you know, it was Casey Case and Pancakes, um, top, and Casey Case and Top 40, uh, Miller Light and the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, that was kind of our Sunday commitment. So there wasn't much church attendance involved in, in that. But my my family was God fears in a sense. But uh, so I had sports as kind of a God for me from a very, very young age. And uh, ninth grade, I had a knee injury. And that really sent me on a tailspin because they said I couldn't play ball anymore. And my desire was always to 
to play at least college ball, if not professional. And so that sent me on a real bad tailspin. And if we spin, spin it up to my sophomore year in college, after almost smoking marijuana for about a month and a half straight, selling it out of the back of my Monte Carlo to help support my habit. I was dating a girl going to community college and I began to question for the very first time, what in the world am I doing with my life? And I was so prideful and arrogant. I, I didn't ask those kinds of questions and that began to gnaw and nag at me. And about that summer of my sophomore year, I was 20 and it was 1986. And uh, I, began to ask those questions. My girlfriend also went off with her family to the Bahamas and then came back and dubbed me. And then I, I began to say, whoa, maybe there's some things wrong with me. And I didn't ask those kinds of questions at all. And I began to slip into a little bit of depression. And I heard this voice, and I believe it was the Spirit of God saying the Bible is the Word of God. And I began to read the New Testament. I found one. I said, oh, I have one of those Bibles. And I found it on my shelf, picked it up and read it from cover to cover. And really what spoke to me powerfully was the, the, the love chapter in Corinthians, uh, certainly the one through seven spoke to me a lot, but what is it? First Corinthians 13, 11, I believe it says, Paul said, when I was a man, uh, when I was a child, I reasoned like a child. I talked like a child. I, I basically did all these things, these ch childish things. But when I came a man, I put away childish things. And that just exploded in my heart. And I said, God, please, please make me a man. And that began to really radically change my life. I began to go out and share my story. And uh, three years later, I was on a church planting team and just uh, I learned a lot. But that's kind of my story. And because I started out just reading the word of God, it, it began to cause me to say, well, some of the things I see in our church practices don't really match the mission practices that I see in the scripture. And that was the foundation that led me really to be a church planner, movement leader, um, for so many years. Amen, Guy, just for the way the Lord is working through your journey. And now we're here with both a pandemic happening and the racial tensions and even addressing racism in the church and in society. And so, yeah, would you just share what do you see God doing in this and what can we do about it? There's certainly a lot of things that would cause us to be sad. And it's been a very difficult time. And with the rioting and stuff that's going on, um, has been hard for many cities, but specifically for us in the church, I think what we need to do is begin to speak up and not be silent for our black brothers and sisters who have been hurting and who have experienced racism for so long. I think we need to stand up and speak out and say, we stand with you. It doesn't mean that we're accepting this or that or the other. No, in this situation, when your family's hurting, when your family has been violated, you need to stand up for them. And I feel like that's, for me, is just a real personal conviction that's come out of this and what's happened here in Houston. There's been a great deal of breakthrough and reconciliation. And we've already been working together in many underserved um, neighborhoods and wards in this city, but this has brought about some real hopeful reconciliation. I mean, it, it was on our local news stations, it's just blown up on social media. There's been some real powerful stuff that's happened. One of the things that I've been praying and thinking about, and in the timing, it's only recently come up in this way. And so there's still more time to ask the Lord and what is he doing? But I'm curious, do you see any significance in this happening at the same time of this quarantine and COVID? Because God knows all the timing of all these pieces. And so 
he's not thrown off or surprised. Right, um, right. But there's something that God's doing there that I know I certainly don't want to miss and want to be a part of. Yes. I mean, specifically, I spoke to one of um, our, our key African-American pastors in a community that we've done a lot of organic discipleship and church planting, but also have, it's been connected to what we call a legacy church or his building church. We've done a lot of work there. And one of the things that he said to me today is we'll never do church the same based upon what they've walked through in COVID because they've been, like many of us, have been forced to be flexible, adaptable, and nimble in this situation and in, in seeing the mission in some ways being carried out as effectively, if not more so, during this time has, I think, been an eye-opener for many. I know that it's been a struggle for some. I mean, I, I love being face-to-face with people and wish we've had a lot more of that, but it's also created some, as I said, adaptable, flexible, nimble ways of ministering and seeing that the mission can continue to go on. What are some more of the stories that you are seeing God do in the midst of these times? There's also been a lot of just really good strategies in the harvest. And I think that it's caused us to even change our mindset or perspective about what we even see the harvest as. You know, you and I both have been mentored and and Carol Davis has been in our lives and spoken in our lives. And one of the things she talked years ago is about us being seamless and not creating compartments. One of my concerns about many people who who have talked about getting out into the harvest has been that the, we view the harvest as only a two or three hour slot a day of the week where we go somewhere that's really disconnected from our rhythms and the the natural relationships, the people, the places and the passions that we're connected to. And I actually see we're doing a very poor job of gathering the harvest and even discipling it and multiplying, particularly in big urban cities here in the West, many of our strategies, I think, are geared more for village. So we're starting to see a large amount of people recognize that, man, we need to focus on segments and passions. And yes, we still want to engage unreached people in, in our city. That's certainly that. But but we also recognize that if we can engage people at passions and segment and get them to live this seamless, intentional incarnational way of, of following Christ and living life, we'll, we'll see the gospel flow in natural rhythms. And one of the things that we do is we, in big cities, is people have very little time and we expect and demand more time of them in discipleship and church. But if we can disciple and do church and the natural rhythms, like let's say we have a gym and you begin to, or a workout crew, doesn't even have to be in a gym, that begins to work out together and you begin to share the stories and weave within the DNA of the kingdom into that time, that literally can become your church, your disciple-making group, your missional team. And so as we're doing that, we're seeing that we truly are, what's the word, redeeming our time and, and doing something I think that's far more effective in big cities. I hope that makes sense, but that to me is one of the big things that's come out of this. Yeah, so good. And there's so many books and talk about how transformation happens in these smaller communities. You yes. know, you have, you have church, big church that you go to and it's a big crowd. But when you get into the smaller groups, that's where we really see transformation. And this is just a thought that I'm throwing out there and it could change as the Lord uh, shows more insights and wisdom. But it's interesting how in this time where we're put into smaller communities, you know, gathering on Zoom or different ways because of the pandemic, 
is also the time that we're really bringing, God is bringing up some issues of injustice that need transformation. And so I'm just curious how those are going to overlap down the road. Yeah, I think that's insightful. I, I, I don't think, you know, we believe in a sovereign God, so we know that none of this is coincidence, but it is interesting. It will be interesting to look back. I mean, for me, I've been doing small groups, uh, planting, what do you call them? Micro churches, simple churches, organic churches, MPL churches, whatever labels. I've been doing it for a long, long time. Um, But I have seen an incredible change in openness through the years of just people seeing that there needs to be a shift to have a big enough vision to think small. It's not that we need to eliminate all large gatherings. They have their purpose and we can really experience the transcendence of God in those times. He is bigger than me, that we're connected to a larger community, that there's one church in the city or one church in the world, but the local expression of intimacy and being a missional team and unit is so important as well. So that really, I think, I think that you've hit the nail on the head there. And I think that's insightful. We'll see as the Lord moves and works. Yes. So Guy, in these years of, ministry that you have been pursuing the vision of movements. What have you learned <laughs> over that time, which I, I know can be a huge bucket of wisdom gained through experience and through learning from others, but keeping in light the current events, what do you think have been the most valuable things that you've learned that you are then living out now in light of what's happening? Yeah, one of the biggest things in is related to it would be Steve Smith's book on the spirit walk pretty much captures a great deal of what I would say about that is learning to walk in the spirit, learning to set the sails and allow the spirit to blow. I mean, that's God is moving through men and women who are surrendered to the spirit, who know how to swap and be daily filled with the spirit. As Steve talks about in the book, the S is surrender. The W is wait, you know, actively you're, you're obeying the Lord, but you're waiting instead of trying to make stuff happen, which is huge for me. Um, and then avoid any hint of sin and then promptings of the spirit that we listen to when we walk. So to me, you know, there's no movement without the power of God's spirit. And it, it, here in America, we tend to follow kind of individuals because we're very individual. So we're looking for superstar preachers or superstar ministers and And I think that it's going to take people who learn how to die to multiply and who really want to be filled with the spirit, walk in humility and the unity that comes from that and begin to team well. One of the things that movements in particularly, again, in large urban settings and cities and and is going to take teams, people working together, knowing that we can do far more together than we can as individuals. And that's going to take a lot of humility and working together. So, I mean, those things are key as well as the whole segments and passion piece that I mentioned about, which is important for large urban cities and sprawls, that they're one size or one tool doesn't fit all. One of the things I've observed over the years is when we're younger, we tend to, to sometimes be idealistic and think that only one tool or one bullet or our way is the only way, but we need to be rec- recognizing that it's kingdom principles and there's not just one way to do it. But there is one way as far as Jesus, but there's not one tool or any tool set or one process. There are kingdom principles. There is a king that we serve, and that's how we need to be focused. And that's what I, that's some of the things that I've learned about movements over the years. Amen. So as we think back to this pursuit of movements, 
in the midst of also pursuing justice and racial reconciliation, what do you see as some practical things that us as believers listening to this podcast can do or be a part of? Whether we're talking about engaging our local community, our our people, places, and passions, you know, that's something we need to think about. We've been using a blessed strategy for a long time as an engagement strategy in our local neighborhoods, which just means uh, begin to listen. And I mean, that also is related to the racial reconciliation. We've got to be better listeners. We have two ears, one mouth. We've got to do twice as much listening. And, and listening also involves asking, learning how to be really good question askers. Jesus was the master question asker. And so if we can learn how to ask good questions, we'll be better listeners and people truly do connect with that and feel like that we care. And I hope we do care. We love them. And to love Jesus is to care. So begin listening is the B. Well, actually we begin with prayer. Then we listen. It's the L is listen. Okay. Then we eat or share meals, which has been hard during this time, but we also have been serving families by delivering meals. And that's been a huge engagement. A global strategy is by providing food with the ultimate food, the gospel. And that's been powerful too during this time. Then begin to serve our community and to share. And so we've developed all kinds of creative ways to share, whether it's, you know, sidewalk, chalk, um, out front signs, hanging out front. We've challenged our people to hang out front in your yard during this time, to walk with people, to engage. And there are so many communities particularly in Houston, where there's been tons of walking and a lot of engagement with our neighbors and our friends and family, engaging people by doing walks and getting out there and just being flat out friendly and asking good questions, seeking to understand, but then being prepared to share your story or his story. So good. Bless strategy. Yes. That's awesome. As we wrap up, Guy, is there anything else that you would like to share? You know, I think that I've shared my heart throughout this, but I think the one of the main things for me is is to challenge the broader body to to be focused and intentional about everything they do, starting with their surrender. That it's not by my not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so we we have to be daily surrendered, and that's not just in our quiet time; it's all the time. And then out of that flows an intentional, seamless way of living, where we learn how to effectively engage people, how to simply share the gospel, how to start and begin with a short term, and then move towards a long term discipleship, how to gather as His church and develop leaders that are going to reproduce a vision until there's no place left. And to me, one of the key things for our city is, is we need many upper rooms and that's many networks of 120 that multiply. We need thousands of them in many of our large urban cities. So what does that look like? And to think that Jesus raised up the the Galilee network, so to speak, in three years at going three miles an hour, investing in a few that ended up impacting Jerusalem and beyond with that 120 of Galileans gathered and the spirit fell. That's a powerful image for me, but we need thousands of those in every large metropolitan city in the West, across Europe. And uh, we that's also going to be helpful to see uh, us reach the nations. Amen. So for those listening, who are saying, I'm in, I want to be a part of that guy, what should they do? 
Yeah, I mean, if you're listening, you want to engage. Well, one, find a team, click up with somebody. And, of course, I'm I'm a part of kind of the No Place Left movement stream, but I also have many DMM friends. But you can look up No Place Left and get connected uh, with practitioners in your area. Uh, man, we would love any – I would walk with you. We'd connect someone in your city. If you're saying you've got you and two or three others, I mean, it only takes you and someone else, just a couple of units to begin to start this. So – when it starts with you, just say, man, God, I'm in. Here I am. Send me, use me. And then say, man, where is a, a brother, a sister, a teammate that I can walk this out with? And then if you need some help, man, connect to some of these communities and some of these uh, practitioners in the city. Then we now have people, I think, in almost every large metropolitan city and beyond that are, are wanting to practice um, some of the principles that we've talked about. Yep. So good. Thank you so much for sharing, Guy. Thank you. I appreciate the time and the opportunity to share. I'm just so grateful to God for all he's done in my life and many others. And the legacy of those that walked before us, we cannot forget that. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Resources in pursuing the movement principles of multiplying disciples and churches can be found at www.live1002.com. Join us as we live Luke 10 verse 2 until there's no place left. And that includes engaging in the conversation and the actions towards justice. If you've enjoyed this podcast, feel free to rate it, leave a comment, subscribe, or share to friends. What is one thing that you can do this week to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God? <laughs>